Hey everyone, it's Neil. I just wanted to jump in quick before we start to give you a heads up that we do touch on some subjects that some people may find triggering. So please do take a moment to check the episode notes before diving into this week's episode. But other than that, I hope you enjoy the episode, and fear not, we've got a whole load of good vibes coming your way. Jack, what do you know about anxiety and depression? Mm, not much. Okay, I was hoping for a little bit more, but I'm going to just go straight into my facts. Uh, so according to MIND, one of the UK's leading mental health organisations, in the last national survey in 2016, approximately one in four people in the UK will experience mental health problems each year. In England, one in six people report experiencing a common mental health problem such as anxiety and depression in any given week. What we also need to take into account, though, is that those numbers are through speaking to private residents and don't take into fact people living in hospitals, people in prisons or even the homeless. So it's actually, you know, a very small snapshot of potentially a much bigger problem. And so one of the common questions is, is mental health uh, and mental health issues increasing? And according to MIND, the actual number of uh, people suffering from mental health isn't increasing rapidly year on year. But what is happening is due to increased external pressures, people struggling to cope is increasing. And the after effects of anxiety and depression are increasing. Such as? So that is things like self-harm and it is leading all the way up to attempted suicide and suicide. So, dear listener, you may be wondering why we're talking about anxiety and depression on a podcast about good news. And well, there is a simple answer, which is firstly and fundamentally, it is a good, good thing to talk about. Talking about it erases stigma and can help people feel less isolated. And there is one man who's been incredibly vocal about mental health advocacy by sharing his own experiences, and that's the author Matt Haig. At 24, Matt's world collapsed under the weight of depression, and he almost took his own life. A three-year battle with depression followed, with panic and despair being daily struggles, to the point where he struggled to even get to the corner shop alone. Matt wrote about his experiences in his memoir Reasons to Stay Alive, which became a number one bestseller, staying in the British top 10 for 46 weeks. The book begins where it almost ended, on a cliff edge in Ibiza, and charts Matt's recovery and how he learned to live with depression. The book has become a go-to reference in conversations about living with depression, and Matt went on to write Notes on a Nervous Planet, a broader look at how modern life feeds our anxiety and what we can do to combat it. And now, Reasons to Stay Alive is going on tour, in a new play being produced by Sheffield Theatres and English Touring Theatre. The play is billed as a celebration of what it means to be alive, and we're lucky enough to have the director of the show, Jonathan Watkins, in the studio with us today. We spoke to Jonathan about why he felt he needed to bring these pages to the stages. Sorry about that. The aspects of Matt's book that resonated with him, the importance of recognising social support networks, and his creative and practical process in getting this uplifting book into theatres nationwide. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really happy to have you. Um, I think kind of best place to start is to give us a bit of background um, on you and how you ended up where you are today. Oh, well, I'm glad to be here and thanks for inviting me. That's a massive question. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll try I'll try and bullet point it. Um, I'm currently, I, I suppose I describe myself as a theatre maker, choreographer, director. I mean, it's kind of hard, isn't it, to like not box yourself up, but the world kind of wants you to identify as like, these job titles but my background is from dance and specifically ballet so I left Barnsley in South Yorkshire when I was 12 and went to the Royal Ballet School boarding school for seven years and then I graduated into the Royal Ballet Company which is in Covent Garden at the Opera, Royal Opera House and I danced and made and created ballets there for 10 years um, but about six years ago I just I just 
kind of felt like I just needed to get out of there and sort of craft and work in my own like rhythm with my own kind of like passionate projects and that's really what I try and do first and foremost and so I start uh, yeah I started like about five years ago creating dance theatre adaptations of books and working on some plays as like a movement director choreographer um but this project Reasons to Stay Alive was really the first project that I really wanted to lead on and direct and and kind of like use all the skills I've learned so far to try and convey Matt's experiences with um, his own mental health difficulties. So where does that where does this journey kind of initially start? Was it you deciding that you wanted to work on and create this piece or is it one that someone approached you and then you became attached to? No, it was very like led by me really. I read the book in 2015 on a megabus to Manchester and it just really like appealed to me on on a lot of different levels really like firstly the kind of truth that Matt offers throughout in his kind of journey over these kind of three to four years of like real intense challenges but also I just loved the way like it was just a couple of pages and then a page on something he'd learned along the way and like practical advice and witty elements and just like all over the place and really dynamic and so I just read the book like everyone did or a lot of people did um in 2015 and sort of left it but was inspired by it um and then really about two years ago I'd realized some amazing projects that I'd wanted to do for like years and um I took myself off upstate New York to my friend's kind of uh lovely little place on my own for a week and I just read loads of stuff and was on my own and I was like what do I want to do like what are the kind of things that I like I'm passionate about I really try to like take stock and I had some people like ask me to do things and like commission dance pieces but I think I just like these things are really challenging to kind of get off the ground so I just really needed to kind of get behind an idea and I came back to the book and I started imagining it really like how it would happen I knew it definitely had to have like text and be a play but with movement and music and sort of rely on all of that really to kind of try and express what Matt's going through. I think what he's amazing at is like imagery and sort of expressing his his experiences in different ways and sort of um, that kind of led me to sort of the reimagining of, well, the imagining of it into like a theatrical production. And once I did that for myself, I was like, well, I need to see if this is possible. So I just reached out to Matt, like on email, like on his website. Um, I mean, he's really great, obviously on social media and yeah, and contact he's, he's and prolific on you know, social. yeah, he's brilliant. And so I, I think I'm remembering this right, but I think I emailed him and just sort of said, I've got this idea um, to turn your book that's like so raw and honest and about you with your mum and dad and your girlfriend who's your wife and um yeah so I kind of we just met up and I started speaking about it a bit like like how I'm doing now um and he came away from that meeting so of saying I think he sent me an email saying I think you've got you could create something great 
Um, and yeah, and then that kind of began the conversations about like how we would do it, really. I think that's one of the things that uh, has intrigued me the most when I first heard that the play was happening in that, um, to your point about how the, his, the book is written, I'm very much like, I consider myself like a commuter reader. So I'm always doing it on my journey to and from work. Um, whereas actually when I picked up uh, Reasons to Stay Alive, because of the way it's written in quite short bursts, and then suddenly there's like, you know, you have like a, a list chapter and then it goes back into prose. Um, I did it in a whole day. So it was yeah. literally, I was kind of like having a casual day at home, started it, and it was because of that nature and it actually being quite sectional, I flew through it. And I'm wondering how that then turns into a full narrative for uh, a whole play. Yeah, um, I mean, that's why I read it on a four hour coach journey to Manchester. Like, you know, um, there are other bus companies available, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, and so like, yeah, so I think for me, it, it's like the flow and the rhythm of the the book, but it always to me appeared in like I want to say like three levels. So, well, like three dimensions really. Like one, the kind of narrative arc of like what Matt goes through, like from Abitha to basically now, like oh when he wrote the book in I think two thousand and fourteen. Um, so that kind of like narrative, like what we call like the dramaturgical arc, <laughs> um of like the that's how it appeared to me in scenes like this is the his activity and his experiences so that can play out in scenes then the lists and the kind of kind of uh what depression says to you or things that people say to people with depression that they don't say in other like life-threatening situations like I kind of knew that they would like I call them interjections. So they like interject the narrative arc of the play um, to kind of offer over to the audience and the people that are experiencing like Matt's reflections, but also like how to be there for someone with depression and anxiety, like real practical advice. And so that that is really why I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to try and create a sort of four dimensional experience that someone could watch and be like, oh, I've I've experienced that or that, or that might help, or I know someone and maybe this is, I need to do that. Like maybe it could like influence and kind of inspire people to behave in a certain way. And that's really what theatre is so good at, if you can get it right. It's about like shedding light on dark areas of humanity that like we don't understand. And I'm not saying like Matt's book doesn't really answer all of it, but it just offers up his experience. Yeah, and, and that it's happening and it's a connection that, yeah. that people relate to, yeah. Yeah, and I've always felt um, that the, the the kind of clearest way to express the book is really just to follow the book in terms of Matt's own experiences. And like at the beginning of the book, I think, I mean, it's not a direct quote, but he says something like, minds go wrong in all sorts of ways and I think it was really important for us to kind of present his his experiences and his kind of um conditional like equation of like how his mind went wrong um and not to sort of go this is how everyone should deal with it but you know he offers some weapons he calls them weapons doesn't he in the book so I think I just wanted to create Matt's truth and people can take what they can or what they need from it and the third level was um, the conversations across time that he presents three times throughout the book. And he sort of like, we really took that and sort of extrapolated it into like a theatrical device really throughout the play. So Matt exists in our play as 
older Matt and younger Matt. And older Matt really kind of mentors younger Matt through his experiences. But throughout the play, younger Matt doesn't really know that that's his older self. He just thinks it's someone that's been through similar situations and experiences as him. So they're the kind of three levels, like the experience that Matt goes through, the interjections and the things that are offered to the audience and this like conversation over time that wouldn't we all just love to have that? I mean, what would we say to our older younger self or older self and I wrote an email to myself six years ago have you ever done that no I've seen it as a as yeah. a real common practice of of helping process kind of like like traumas and feelings and yeah. there's a website for it you can like write yeah. an email and it stores it and will send it back to you that's what I did oh there you go yeah I did it like six years ago obviously thought I'm never gonna forget about this I did forget about it and then I got it and I was like what's this and then it was like I read the email and I was like that's exactly what I'd say to myself now. Like nothing had changed. I was just like, go for your things. Like, you know, um, lead with passion. Da, 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 da. Like it, no, it's not changed really. So that was kind of good, but a bit disappointing. I was like, <laughs> I want some, like, some sort gems of revelation. from my like, yeah, my, old, my, my uh, younger self gems. Yeah, I wanted that. So you talk about uh, how you chose this project and how you had like a variety of things that you were thinking about, but this one was really what was resonated with you. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about why maybe this was your choice and maybe why personally it made such an impact for you? Yeah, I think that it was really down to the fact that, um, I mean, like I feel very fortunate to not have experienced anything close to what Matt has gone through, but I, it really appealed to me of like, in terms of an idea for something to to share with an audience, it felt like this was this was not just putting on a play. This this had the kind of possibilities to like help people as well. And so it was like one I mean, I had I came up with many ideas on that week, but this kind of really felt legitimate and like the integrity of of, of of what it could be and the drive like is kind of what made me keep going with it and and so like once I believed in it and I believe that it had the potential to kind of not just entertain but provoke thought and kind of help people and offer pragmatic advice I just felt like all of that was like really important and it kind of then became a front runner of of like the kind of leading work that I wanted to make and so then on my journey it was about finding the right um co-producers and theatres that that kind of could see that potential and also understand my passion and understand the way that I was seeing it and therefore would allow me to kind of and trust me to to do it. When you're talking about those kind of initial intentions uh, in putting it into a play, when you were thinking about the potential audience, were you thinking more about um, honouring the people that had already read and loved the book and it being a new journey for them? Or were you using it as a tool to hit kind of like a new generation that may not have read, may not read the book, but would engage with it in a play? Kind of, did you have a specific aim of who you wanted to be speaking to when you're doing it? I think the hope is always to appeal to as many people in as many different situations as possible. I think the things that you've mentioned, like, like I wouldn't, I would hope for like all of those. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that what I would say is when you adapt a book, you're adapting it for a reason and you're not saying this is instead of the book, but you're saying it's complementary to the book. And 
um, I totally get it that people are like, oh, it's not as good as the book or it's better than the book. And that really isn't the intention. It's like, it's to kind of honor the book and to kind of put it into a different medium and experience. I mean, we all read a book on our own, really, or like listen to an audiobook, or um, actually, obviously, you could read to a group or something. But um, so I, I kind of thought it'd be good to kind of have that shared live experience. Um, if you've known, if you know the book, well, great, because you're seeing it in a different way. If you don't know the book, you're just you're seeing a play that happens to be based on a book that is about someone going through this. Um, and and also, if you don't know anything about it, I think, I hope anyway, that it just works as a play about a true story that like has happened to someone. And, and that's kind of for, for a maker and for actors and, you know, to have those real people come and see it is, is a little bit daunting. But thankfully, they were kind of really happy with what we were doing and um, just really lo like loved it. So, yeah, I wanted to ask about the, the responsibility with that, because you're like, not only is it a, a difficult subject matter with uh, like in media, lots of guidelines, for example, to talk about but also the responsibility of taking someone else's life and turning it into this performance. So when you were making it, how did you how did you kind of work with that? I think that um, I think that first and foremost, I think that Matt really trusted me, and he could kind of hopefully see my integrity with like wanting to portray his story and his truths. And I think that that is really what um, I led with. I mean, I I've done a ballet of nineteen eighty four, which you know, really had to serve the book. Um, I've done a dance theatre adaptation of Kez, A Kestrel for a Knave by Barry Hines, and that really followed the book. So this was kind of a similar process to that, that really we adapt. I worked with a playwright, April D'Angeli, to, to sort of work on structure and adapting and dialogue. Um, but we always, always served the book. And it was almost like we had the play and then we also had this book that was almost like a manual that if we were kind of debating with the process, because the script changed quite a bit and the actors really were incredible, like no egos at all. They were serving the character and serving these real people. And we would go back to the book and, and all the time and go, oh, well, actually, is 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 kind of explaining it like this. So let's do that. So it, it doesn't it doesn't really wander from the book at all, apart from um, what we thought it was important with um, Andrea, his his girlfriend and, and then wife, um, that we kind of just explored some of the kind of dynamics between and what, between two people and within a relationship and like how that relationship survives that because we know that in other scenarios and in people's experiences you know things break up you know pe not everyone's got a rock like Andrea for Matt and Matt knows he's so lucky with that and he he obviously describes um those qualities in Andrea throughout the book and so I think in a kind of dramatization of that it was important for us to kind of look at the the moments that maybe Andrea is like, you know, sort of give Andrea a bit more of a, a sort of through line of like her experiences with living with someone. I think that's so perfect because that was one of um, a real key takeaways when I read the book is that, I mean, one, you just, all of these things that you see 
Andrea doing you're just like this woman is incredible um, but actually there was a real I felt a real eagerness to want to hear more from her and actually to almost uh, like I would happily read her version of the entire book like yeah. and kind of because you know I think it's always um, and this crosses even more topics even um, it was actually really similar to a conversation I was having uh, with a friend whose family a member has cancer and it's something I've experienced in my family and we were talking about how how it affects and actually there's a trauma to those that are helping care and cope and actually that's one thing that that's another thing you're not given a manual for and actually I think it's a it's a really important part because it is so pivotal in an overall recovery for a person yeah and also like and I'm sure Matt would say this himself that it's obviously his his perspective of the experience and um and like you know not specifically about Andrea but there must be you know there must be we talked about it with the actors, like, what does Andrea, how does Andrea and Matt's mum and dad speak to each other? Like, we would never get that from Matt's book because he was not there. But, you know, at the very beginning of the book, um, Matt actually has had enough and he goes actually to to commit suicide and throw himself off a cliff in Ibiza. Um, and he doesn't. But um, Andrea's like, you, you've, we're going home. We're going home to your mum and dad's. But, like, I was interested in in a kind of dramatization and an adaptation in a play of like facilitating the actor's understanding of like, well, did Andrea then phone the mum and dad and go, oh, he's really bad, I'm bringing him home. And then the mum and dad were like, oh, how, you know, they probably were pondering, oh, how bad is he? Like, what is that? And you know, that that's just reality, isn't it? Like, oh, and this isn't quoting them at all, but there's a kind of scenario of like, and it does come across slightly in the book of like, oh, we'll get him home. Um, you know, we'll it, he'll get he'll have some rest. We'll cook him his nice meals and we'll get him back on his feet. When when he moved back to his parents, like, I don't know, maybe there's certain scenarios and people experiencing this out there that people don't realise and like themselves what what's ahead of them. Um, and like the mum and dad in, in Matt's case could have thought, oh, he's going to be fine in a couple of weeks. And and we know he wasn't, but that that's kind of the hopeful human spirit, isn't it? Of like, oh, they'll pull themselves through. And like, you know, uh, in, in other scenarios, like you said, like say with cancer, which we know affects so many people and we know so much more about and we understand that word, don't we? Obviously there's many, many different scenarios with that. But there's that kind of thing of, they'll pull through it, you know, the human spirit. But I mean, the, the, the sadness is that sometimes that's not enough, is it? Because we can't control that. And there is, there's the, there's a part in the book, which I remember kind of really pausing on, uh, when Matt is at home and he's at the window and he, he does just start getting emotional and starts crying. Um, and then his father comes in and then actually his father is looking at him and then starts getting upset. But then again, I think, you know, there's a real sense that the father is understanding the urgency of the situation, but still is of that, you know, that natural response of like, you have to get through this son. Yeah. And then you, and Matt says that he's like, he d- defaults to the response of like, I'll try. Yeah. You just really don't know. And so it is a really interesting um, complexity between the characters. Yeah. And he says, pull yourself together. Come on, you can do this. And, and there is, there is a sense of, of, you know, we questioned within the play in terms of trying to understand who the mum and dad are of, of sort of saying, 
right when when the dad first realized what Matt was going through um I mean I don't know if Google was like a big thing in 1999 I don't know my timeline you well, should know this Jack yeah Jack um yes it was there uh, okay but Googled? maybe the ant got good I don't know maybe he looked it up maybe he went to a library maybe he went you know maybe he did that maybe he didn't maybe the mum because the mum was a teacher maybe um someone who she teaches with has had an experience you know like everyone's got a bit of an experience haven't they of like oh I know someone of so it's kind of like questioning yeah like like you're saying the people surrounding Matt and like kind of giving them um, more depth really because it is very much from Matt's perspective which is incredible um but for a play we wanted to kind of give the other characters a little bit more of um of a life really within the production and then he he came to a show in Sheffield um after we'd o- officially opened and and sat there and i mean it must have been an, quite a weird experience, experience yeah. Sure, yeah but he said um he found it quite difficult i hope he, he doesn't mind me saying it but um he he said that he found it really difficult for the first 10 minutes and then he he, he thought the best thing to do was to kind of like pretend it wasn't him and just sort of watch this play and watch the story and um I think that kind of helped him watch it and he came on his own um and his mum and dad came with some of his the rest of his family a couple of days later I think when it comes to the the adaptation and uh, obviously considering the, the the content of the book did you have that initial discussion on deciding how kind of like dark you wanted to go or how exposed you wanted certain things to be uh, and was there a discussion on that versus how you leave the play balanced for the audience to leave with a sense of hope or kind of how does how do you feel the overall sentiment delivers to the uh, to the audience can i talk about it like with spoiling it yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i don't know when this is going out anyway yeah. but um it was re- so basically what is different in our play is the older matt kind of is matt sort of now and He's mentoring the younger Matt, like through these experiences. And you kind of get this sense that I wanted to kind of inject this sense of that through the play, you think that like older Matt is through it all. Because people think that like, oh, this was, you're through it and it's gone and it's never going to come back. But what we know and what we know from many different people's experiences is it doesn't go away and it can rear its head at other times and it, it can be always in the background. You know, everyone has different experiences, but I we kind of wanted to sort of create this older Matt that was like like the, the voice in the book that Matt writes. But then towards the end of the play, I wanted to kind of like what I call older Matt's falling. Like, so I wanted to sort of build older Matt to this kind of confident place and people think he's okay, but then actually show that the potential that it, it's always there and that it can come back. And so one of the penultimate scene is really older Matt, like spiraling down again. Um, and sort of then it's younger Matt's turn to kind of go, you've taught me all of this. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you've taught me these weapons. Like now you have to listen to your own advice. And so younger Matt uses the part of the book um, where uh, Matt Haig reaches out to other people to to share their reasons to stay alive. And so in our play, younger Matt reaches out to 
the people in in like in in the outer world to sort of say look this book can help people and so really that draws older matt out of out of his his darkness and and they end up in Formentera. So the place starts in Ibiza and ends in Formentera, which is just an island. I think it's south of Ibiza. And 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 there's a tiny little section in the book saying, um, when I think of a calm place, I think of Formentera. And so it's like the end is like, you know, we've got the weapons, but it doesn't go away. But we know a little bit more of what works for us, what works for Matt. And and I and and I think that like the kind of power and the reach of the book comes across. So I, 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 from what I've heard from people that have seen it, they, they say that that's the uplifting thing, that we are not alone, that people are experiencing, yes, in different ways, but like this kind of sharing of Matt's story in this way is a kind of, it's a way of like unifying the audience, unifying us. And that is really what theatre does, isn't it? If if you kind of get it right. So hopefully we've slightly got it right. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like people, are, it's emotional. It goes to those places like the book and it, and it, and it doesn't shy away from that. But people find like, um, people are laughing and then you can hear a pin drop and then you can hear sniffles and then people are touched by it. But then it feels like lifted like we're not saying that we're not saying like that it's there's a cure but we're saying like there's li different ways and different approaches to combating and living with it um and and hopefully that's what this kind of puts across so I mean, you'd have to uh, you'd have to ask audiences because because uh, I've created it, so I'm a little bit like I just know the nuts and bolts of the play, and so um, I don't have like I I don't have a response um, that people get from seeing it for the first time. So well, I, I can give an answer on that tomorrow because I am heading to Bristol oh, tomorrow evening are? to to oh, see it. Yeah, amazing. so I'm very very excited. Oh. So actually, we're gonna do a we'll do a pick up after it. Um, we'll and splice this exact moment yeah. together with <laughs> to, to me oh, in the yeah. future in, in on oh, Sunday. And then you'll be like, mm, yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> but actually, what's great? I'm so glad glad that you're going because that's our first venue on the tour. Yeah. We opened it in Sheffield, which was a studio space, and I always wanted to create it there because I kind of wanted it to be like more intimate and like almost like touchable and this kind of shared environment um but it works really well in what you call like a proscenium you know like an old kind of proscenium um theater and the bristol vic is one of the oldest you can get i think it was built in like 1766 um and it's brilliantly um renovated and amazing and so i was it was quite nice actually after sort of three weeks seeing the show in a certain venue to seeing it in another venue and um, for the actors, that's quite different because at Sheffield, they, they were wrapped around the action, whereas they're more like out, out in, out in front of them, just like in a, in a kind of like the a normal, not normal, but an original traditional theater, traditional theater. That's right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it works well there. And so it's on tour through till November, isn't it? Yeah, it finishes on November the 16th, um, but it goes after Bristol, it goes to the Lawrence Batley Theatre in Huddersfield. Then it goes to Northern Stage in Newcastle. And then I'm not quite sure of the order, but it goes to York Theatre Royal, um, Leeds Playhouse, the studio there. 
and one more. Oh, Manchester Home, which is a great venue. It's um, got a gallery space, a theatre and a couple of cinemas. So it's a great little like hybrid of a place, which I really like. And what are, you know, do you have hopes for it to go, you know, further once the tour is finished? Any like coming to London or just I as mean, a London night wanting to? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is like, I would love it to be seen as many places as possible. Obviously it would be great um, if it came to London. I mean, obviously I feel like we are still very London centric, um, but I'm all for it just being seen as many places as possible. And I'm just really grateful that um, we got to create it up in Sheffield, but then it's been supported straight away by English Touring Theatre and going to like six venues that um, are all kind of interesting and different venues and, um, yeah, we live in hope. Hopefully it'll carry on. I know Matt would like it to come to London. And I think it's just about finding the right space, the right time. And um, yeah, just we'll see. Fingers crossed for it. What will be, will be, I feel. I think one thing that is interesting actually to that point about wanting it just to be seen. Um, and it was very much my feeling when reading the book. And I think it's actually similar conversations that are happening with other documentaries that are being made in that actually these things should almost become like mandatory in schooling and mandatory in education because so many of the things that, you know, Matt dealt with and then learned and the weapons that he created, like these aren't things that are taught in school, which are actually very desperately needed. Yeah. And uh, so many people these days need to understand um that they can create these tools and have them with them all the time. And so I think that's very much the thing for me is that with Matt's book and now with the play, it's like, yeah, you do just want as many people to gain access to it as possible. And I think for myself kind of, um, so I was quite late to getting around to Matt's book because it was actually only over the last couple of years as I dealt with my own issues around stress and anxiety um, through to various like family issues that triggered mine. And I, I had like cognitive behavioral therapy and started helping myself learn those tools. And that's when I started picking up different literature to kind of yeah. learn more. And that's when I came across Matt's work and found him on social. Um, and you do kind of like the amount of work I've had to do separately. You're like, well, we're fully aware that we're not the only ones suffering from this. And actually yeah. that it, it should be more accessible. Exactly. And, you know, like coming back a bit to your question of who do I hope sees it? And and like, honestly, I know it, sound, it might sound a bit cliche, but honestly, like if it helps like one or two people, like, I'm apps that's success to me like if it helps a few people that see it like that is success and I think that by having more com like it's just carrying on the conversations around it and you know some people say like oh I really want to see it but I'm kind of worried that it'll be too much for me and I would just say come get an aisle seat and if it's too much for you walk out honestly it's absolutely fine um, just, but if you are willing to come, because some people afterwards say it was so emotional and, but, and, and it was hard to hear, but it really, I needed to hear it, you know? And, and, and I think if you can be willing to kind of want to experience it, like, don't let that kind of fear of how you're going to react to it, put you off and like, literally you can leave. It's fine. Um, and I would just like say that it's amazing that people like parents or partners or someone that's got any connection with someone that's like going through these things. It's amazing that they come and see it and go, oh, I kind of like get it a bit more. I understand it a bit more. And that's all that really matters. Like furthering understanding, shedding light on like this mysterious thing that isn't so like, 
it's, I don't know if the right word is tangible, but like, you know, it, I think as humans, we just want things in boxes, don't we? And we want to know like, this is what it says and this is what it is. But we know that like, not everyone is going to have cancer the same. Not everyone is going to break their leg the same. You know, everyone is different. And, um, and that's just a massive thing to, to learn with anxiety, depression, a combination of both who you are, where you are, who, who's around you. It, it, it's, it's all contributing factors, but it all makes everyone's experiences different. So I think there's many reasons to read the book and see the play and hopefully if there's a TV show. And, you know, it, like the more that it just, the more that we can sort of describe and, and, and tell stories in different ways and to sort of give people a lifeline to say that you're not alone you know that thing that you're feeling, someone else has felt that. And it, it's not just about this topic, it's about so many things. It's about um, representation, it's about the stories that we tell, that we put front and centre. And I feel like we're moving more in a much more positive way towards all of that. Obviously, there's always work to be done, but um, we need to kind of tell different stories from different perspectives and hopefully the 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 people who need to see them will see it brilliant well i mean we wish you all the best of luck with the play i cannot wait to see it and i'll let you know oh, uh, the feelings know. after yeah. it but oh. thank you so much for coming today we super appreciate your time oh, you're uh, it's welcome. been really great talking lovely to you lovely to speak to you thanks for having me thank you a good good thing i love anything that's positive brilliant go Hey Neil, how are you doing? I'm fine, Jack. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited. This is our first time recording something not physically two meters away from each other. I know, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. <laughs> so, how is Bristol? Bristol was great. I'm just heading back to the station to grab a train back to London. And how was the play? It was really good. It was. <laughs> I, re I really, really enjoyed it. I think it is, uh, as Jonathan said, like a real compliment to the book. I kind of I spoke to some of the other audience members who I heard saying that they hadn't read the book afterwards um, uh, to kind of find out whether they thought that they like felt like they had missing info or anything. But they said that actually, no, like it really collectively made sense to them uh, as a journey arc. Um, but at the same time, I think for me, I really enjoyed knowing the extras that I know weren't in the play. Um, but it, it really does serve it in terms of its, all, its overall message. You don't really see many plays dedicated to mental health, but we're generally seeing more talk of the issue in society, which I guess, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, is a positive societal change we're living through right now. Did you see Britain's Got Talent? Uh, no. So it recently went silent to raise awareness for mental health issues, while this November, uh, when men grow moustaches in November for a charity, is dedicated to mental well-being. Neil, what do you think? Are we seeing these changes? Yeah, definitely. And I think kind of with the play, what was interesting when I was watching it was part of me was like, because obviously it's such a, a personal story to Matt. Um, and obviously I think if you read the book, you kind of feel like you, I suppose, weirdly know him more. Um, and then it's it's such a, a singularity of a story. But then actually it was done really well that it was clearly um, accessible by anyone else that watched it. And everyone that like kind of left the theatre seemed to be really moved by it. And I think that's... The thing now is that we've done the kind of like the initial conversation in, conversations are happening. We're starting to 
question the right things and make sure that um uh, you know that like people are being treated or people are behaving in correct ways um, and i think it's kind of the next step of that of like how it kind of moves obviously it's in it's in the books and people have talked about it on podcasts people talk about it on social media and i think uh, actually this is that step that shows with britain's got talent with the show that it's moving into a mainstream consciousness and people are starting to wake up to realize that the world is so different now than what it was you know 10 15 20 years ago and there are so many more things that affect mental health and actually we now need to properly reassess how we behave how we're educated and a, a look at the new world around us like i think there's the bit in the play that it's probably even more impactful hearing it said than reading it when they talk about that you know modern advertising is achieved through anxiety like you sell a skincare by making people anxious about the signs of aging um and i think we now need to kind of with this is a movement towards kind of making that more obvious to people we're also seeing more of overcoming more of everyone's role in being more supportive of people around us jonathan said he made a slight change to the role of angela in his production from the books angela do you think that came across strongly yeah definitely so obviously there's it is the bit um there is a part of the book that talks about like how to help someone if you know someone that is suffering with depression um and then what it's given and in the play it gives power to andrea because it's her character that says it rather than obviously you reading it from kind of being advice from matt in the in the play it's given as advice from andrea um and she's surrounded by matt's family as it happens uh, and so yeah and i think that's that's the biggest thing is it, it it does showcase that moving forward this is a part that everyone has that there is a part that everyone has to play in it um and we need to be very aware of how ingrained we are to go to those defaults of you know chin up you know oh i get those as well and actually that it all has like kind of deeper meaning and consequence which reminds me of the mental health charity time to change their current campaign is sometimes we say we're fine when we're not so if your mate is acting differently ask twice perhaps that's the most important thing people can take away from this episode yeah definitely and i think it's it's the you know when you get the if a response is, you know, I am fine or yeah, all good. It's kind of, you know, never taking it at face value. We should always want to, like, I think I, it's something I definitely am aware of that I want, you know, you kind of want more as an answer than I'm fine. Like, I think a lot of the time I'm fine doesn't tend to mean I'm fine. Um, and actually, yeah, you should take that step to to probe and, and go further and i think that's something that everyone can can take away as a, as a positive action although i get irrationally furious if people ask me if i'm okay twice but as much as i'd like to unpick that personal peculiarity we've definitely run out of time on today's podcast i'd like to thank jonathan for coming to the studio and talking about his work neil anyone you'd like to thank no just all of all of the above thank you for everyone for listening i'd love to hear hear from anyone that's seen the show or read the book come and find us on social at uh, good good thing and and drop us a message because we'd love to hear your thoughts and how the book has helped you